0: Well, you know what that means. That can only mean one thing, that you are listening to the Obsessible Podcast, Outlander Edition. Here on the Obsessible Podcast, on this show, I talk, your host, that's me, I talk TV and movies like I do with my girls, my colleagues, my booze, and my bays. And this is episode two of season two, which as promised, is all about one of my favorite shows, Outlander. Droughtlander is officially over, and folks, I personally could not... Could not be literally any happier about it. So, Outlander. Like, have you been living under a rock? Like, you've never heard of the show? Like, but that's okay. That's what you're here for. I'm about to put you on. If you didn't know, let me let you know that Outlander is adapted from a series of novels by um, author Diana Gabaldon, who also serves as a consultant on the show. As for the genre, it is a mix of science fiction and fantasy wrapped up into a dramatic horse historical fiction, but at its heart and at its core, it is a love story. For those of you who do know, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, uh, this will be a little bit of a refresher, but for those who don't, let me kind of break it down from the beginning. I'm not going to give you all the things because this is after all season six and child, I'm just going to tell you guys, go watch it. <laughs> just go watch it. Let's actually start there. Go watch the show. It's fantastic. There literally is something for everyone. Historical fiction lovers, drama lovers, action lovers, love story, romance lovers. Like There's something for all of you to sink your teeth into here. So definitely watch the show. You can catch it on Netflix. So let me just get that out of the way. Let me now reel it on back and tell you a little bit about what happens in the beginning and what leads to... (sighs) me not being able to stop watching <laughs> so claire who is our main character is on a trip to the to the scottish highlands with her husband frank randall the year is 1946 and they go to craignadoon to observe a druid ritual now at the time claire doesn't know what she is seeing but she decides to return to the place the next day when frank goes off to do something else when she does that, well, she, she's atten- her intention is to go there to pick some flowers. And she does that. And when she arrives, she hears this kind of large, swarming, buzzing sound. Losing her balance, she, she um, accidentally falls forward and touches the stone, the largest stone in the stone circle. So this druid ritual takes place at this stone circle called Craignadoon. in Cragnadoon. So she touches the stone and she falls backward in time 200 years. And she lands in 1743, literally in the middle of a gunfight between Scottish Highlander rebels and the English Redcoats who are sent to basically subdue the rebellion. She then finds herself face to face with the most despicable character of the entire series, Black Jack Randall, who just happens to be the ancestor of her husband, What are the odds, and also has the man's face. They are literal twins. So she at first just thinks, okay, it's Frank. And she's all very confused when he's like, madam, I don't know you. And then it starts to basically rough her up. She realizes quickly that it's not Frank and she attempts to escape, but is then grabbed by the rebel Highlanders, fundamentally saving her life. This is when she meets James Alexander Malcolm Mackenzie Fraser. Yes, I said his whole name. <laughs> Y'all need to know that man's whole name because baby, oh, he like, he deserves to have his whole name written in the stars. Okay. That's just what it is. All right. From there she's taken to Castle Leoc where she literally had just been the day before but 200 years into the future where she's kind of held captive. She quickly figures out that she's in the past and that she must use her wits and resources her intelligence and her education to keep her alive long enough to return to Kregnadoon and the same stone circle. So she's been able after a few days, if not weeks, she figures out that she needs to get back to the stone circle because that's where all of this happened. and must be there that caused this. That is essentially how season one starts. And from there, Claire and her future husband develop a truly amazing relationship that is fraught with drama and intrigue and enough sexy time to make you blush, child. Like, oh, I was not ready. (laughs) I really was not ready. But if you're like me, you stayed watching to see what would happen to these two next. I've watched through each season multiple times and I'm ready for whatever season six has to offer. So this particular episode is going to provide a review of the first two episodes in season six and going forward I'm going to do them in two episode chunks. So the next review episodes will be of three and four and so on and so forth. If you're a fan of fantasy and you listen to my Whale of Time season review then you know how this goes. I'll review the episodes then tell you a loved character moment a moment from a character that i hate then i'll provide an episode rating and finally i'll close it out with tweets about the show that i found entertaining and then i will bid you adieu let me go back to basics and just say hey if you're new here welcome to the obsessible podcast i'm your host nicole also known as nikki to my besties and if you're listening we are now totally besties Thank you so much for listening. Tell another friend so we can keep building this tribe. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow. For the next several weeks, we're going to be talking Outlander. While we prepare for some of the other shows dropping this month, and that have already actually dropped, and I'm, it, I've, some I've finished, and some I'm in the process of watching. I will definitely be doing reviews for Bridgerton because if that's what you came here for, you're like, I know she's going to review Bridgerton. She's talked about it. This is not the episode for that. I have not decided if I'm going to do one long episode for the entire season or if I'm going to break it up into episodic reviews. So once I make that decision, I will be back with my Bridgerton review because I cannot wait to talk about it. I don't even, I don't even think you guys know. You guys don't even know how I can't wait to talk about it. Like loved this season. Anyway, that's me, Nikki, that's you, besties, and it's time to get started. So what we do here on Obsessible is we get comfortable. We we have our obsessible podcast listening rituals. I don't know what yours happen to be, but mine are like working out. I listen while I'm working out. Yes, I listen to my own podcast. Like, duh, doesn't everybody? <laughs> but we work out, Go for walks, uh, go for driving the car, walk the dog, do whatever you got to do. Get comfortable, get comfortable, grab a drink, grab a snack, because it's go time. We're about to get into this Outlander review, and I just want to let you guys know there will be spoilers for the show on these episodes, so watch first and then listen. I really hope you guys are enjoying watching the show as much as I am. Let's do this. The colors of our lives were changing here. I love you, too. We're going to call her Felicity. Ugh. Josiah, I'm her. She's a mother. She's a Unless Lizzie. Is time all eternal web? <sighs> it's pocket. can travel. The mildest touch setting off vibrations that echo through the eons. What are you? I come from another time. Willing events to happen, bringing the future forward. So on March 6th, episode one of season six of Outlander premiered on Stars. Outlander ended. And I don't know about you guys, but like, I, I just, because I love this show so stinking much, like, I just want to talk about it all the dang gone time, especially when it's airing. And then after it's done airing. And then as many times as I see fit. Okay. Um, we are basically picking up right where we left off as the seasons typically do, with the aftermath of the assault on Fraser's Ridge, the burning down of the whiskey still, and the abduction and subsequent assault of Claire, who, based on what we could see, seems to be healing, but she's definitely experiencing some post-traumatic stress with regard to her rape. But it never, which is like, totally normal and totally natural i think in terms of the entire series there were many times when she was threatened with rape but it never actually happened and this was probably the most brutal of assaults that she's experienced since going back in time and that includes even when she has been um uh captured and accosted by black jack randall um who literally is just like he didn't even malign or abuse her in this in as much ways as happened at the end of season five so to say that and he was literally he is literally the most disgusting villain of the series um so to say that not even he you know did certain things like not that he didn't try y'all but the man had his issues um literally the most disgusting villain but this was probably the worst thing that's ever happened to her. Um, We are hoping for peace at this point because they have been through a lot and, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. Like we are marching towards civil war in the United States. Well, not civil war, sorry. Um, We're marching towards the um, war of independence in terms of the um, American history. And so obviously things are not gonna stay cool, calm and collected in the lives of the Frasers for a long, but at least let's hope for some peace. But we have some new arrivals at the beginning of season six. And that is the family um, that is connected to and the people who are followed by Thomas Christie. He happens to be a former inmate of Ardsmuir, which was the prison that Jamie was in. And we're not really sure what his arrival will bring. Um, another thing to mention is that this is the first season where we don't really see um, all of our couples in a really good place. So every couple has had their thing during each season. And now it is the ter- it is um, Fergus and Marcelie's turn. They have pretty much been in relational bliss since we discovered that they were in a relationship um but it has not something has happened to poor to dear Fergus and we do not get that answer in episode one but it seems that Fergus has taken to drinking, um and he and we already know like how marsley views drunkenness like she will not suffer one she has been through some terrible things because of her father's drinking and she saw what that did to her mother so obviously Marcelie is not gonna have it. The first episode doesn't really provide much clarity on why Fergus has started drinking um and but I'm really hoping that we find out because it's really not like him to just abandon his responsibilities and take and succumb to drink. I've actually really come to love Marcelie and I love her relationship with Fergus and how she fits into the family and how she loves and adores Jamie and Claire as well. So I really want the best for her and this is, it's like literally super heartbreaking to see uh, Fergus and her struggling Um, additionally, we need to get some answers about what's going on with Ian. Like, are we ever going to learn why he's carrying such sadness after his time with the Mohawk? Like, I'm really interested because obviously it's a deeply painful experience and he's not talking about it. Um, and then that brings us to our primary antagonists of this season and who could have been allies, but they chose the way of violence, the Browns. They're obviously going to be a source of contention for the Frasers, and we don't know when that situation is going to rectify itself. But I really do hope it's soon because I can't stand to see Richard, uh, Richard Brown's face. Like I, I, like I can't stand his face. Like I realize that it's an actor who is a real person, but maybe it's the character that's twisting him. But I can't stand him, y'all. I can't. Like I, every time he's on the screen, I, I just like I just get angry. <laughs> I'm just like mm, don't like you. I don't like, I don't want to hear you speak. Like, I just, I cannot with him. I cannot. Um, the And I think what it is, is like, the thing that really gets me is that Richard was supposed to be like the reasonable one between him and his brother Lionel, who we obviously know is a gutter rat and pretty much a despicable human being, not to mention stupid, but he's not, Richard is not proving to be any more rational than that idiot Lionel. So I think that's really what it is, like i guess richard feels like he has to defend his brother but why like there are definitely points where you can just say this person was wrong he kidnapped a man's wife assaulted her burned down property like this is utterly completely totally lawless it's completely despicable but here richard is out here like puffing up his chest like nice committee of safety and what shut up shut up what your brother did was indefensible you cannot defend what he did. And he's super lucky that Jamie didn't raise a whole army and burn every single house down and kill everything moving that was in Brownsville. Like he actually was really quite lucky because that's that's what the old Jamie would have done. But he did what he had to do though. He really did. He took out everything moving. Everyone that was on that pilgrimage back to Brownsville from Fraser's Ridge got murked and rightfully so y'all had no business. Okay. Um, but I digress. The Browns are going to be here to make trouble for the Frasers. And I'm not really sure how Thomas Christie and his, his people are going to play into that, but I'm really kind of hoping that Thomas comes in, doesn't touch anything and just tries to create a life for himself and the people that he's shepherding on the ridge. Like just come in, don't touch nothing. Don't touch nothing. Okay. There's always drama in this family with the Frasiers. No matter where they go, there's always drama. So we don't really need Mr. Christie to come in and do anything more than go bake a cookie. Go bake a cookie, Mr. Christie. Anyway, can we also talk about why he's so stubborn? Why is that man so stubborn? He's seriously stiff-necked and judgmental. I'm literally like, from the cold open where we see the history between Thomas and Jamie that was formed at Ardsmuir, it's just like the man is incredibly stubborn like ridiculously so overly overly so and I feel like that does not bode well for him living on the ridge with Jamie because Jamie is the laird and he needs to come in and just do what he's got to do accept what whatever Jamie is putting down and move on like what's happening here I know how it plays out in the books but obviously it's an adaptation, so it's not gonna be word for word or line for line the same. Um, We'll see. Um, And I also feel like they're setting us up to not like him, but at the same time, I'm not sure where this is gonna go. Uh, But right now, all of my disdain, I guess is kind of pointed in the direction of Richard Brown and the Brownsville men, um, which really kind of gets amplified In two situations in episode one, the first is where they accidentally, yes, I'm using air quotes, shoot at, uh, Ian and, um, Mr. Christie's son. So by the way, Mr. Christie arrives with two kids, Malva and his son, whose name for whatever reason right now is totally escaping me. But nonetheless, he arrives with his two children. He is a widow. Clearly has no love lost for his wife. And, uh, just cause of things that he says, right. And primarily, so back to the Browns anyway. So there's that situation where he accidentally shoots at Ian and the, and, uh, Mr. Christie's son. And then also the moment where he, uh, shows up. Which actually, that moment causes this next moment that I'm about to talk about, which is when he and his committee of safety, because a man can't clearly go anywhere with just him, him. Which is the difference between him and Jamie, because Jamie rolled into Brownsville by himself like a real damn G. Like a real boss. And Richard can't seem to go anywhere unescorted. Says a lot about the man's character, don't you think? Nonetheless, let me go back. So he rolls up with his... So called Committee of Safety clearly traumatizing Claire all over again and um accuses Thomas Christie's son. I'm gonna get his name, I, I, I'm gonna have to get that man's name because what, what is the man's name? <laughs> I need to figure that out. Um, of stealing, and which Thomas Christie, his stiff necked, pious self, basically is ready to upbraid the boy over over it and so he fundamentally admits it they try to take him into custody but you know um jamie stands his ground and is essentially like listen this is my land what do you think you're coming on here to come do like run off your mouth and take my people and just go do whatever the heck you want uh it does not work like that so he basically agrees to punish the boy in front of him in front of everybody and straps him which richard clearly did not like because he really wanted a conflict. And you could see everything that the man is doing is to provoke Jamie to violence, which <sighs> he's not going to win in that fight. Like, do you know who you're dealing with? You have any idea? <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the one thing about Jamie, James Frazier. He is nothing to be played with. Nothing to be played with at all. So that situation rectifies itself. Richard Brown eventually leaves, um, leaves the Ridge and heads back to Brownsville. Not before, and while that's happening, actually just before, just before this, a few scenes before this, there is a new, uh, red coat colonel or general or whatever the heck, and he, McDonald, and he basically asks Jamie to basically take up his position that he had laid down, um, um. After uh, Governor Tryon, after the whole situation with the with the regulators and that war was fought and lost by the regulators, that is, um, lays down his arms and is just basically like, yeah, I'm done with the redcoats. I'm done serving the king. I'm done doing all of that. But he comes back. This new guy comes in, McDonald, and is like, I need you to be my Indian agent. And then basically tells him that Richard Brown, if he doesn't do it, that he's going to give it to Richard Brown, who seems to be a man of law and order. A bag of crap. <laughs> okay. He's a man like all the other whatless ones in this freaking, um, freaking, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, time frame. This period of time that they're in. Uh, just power hungry. Period. That's all he is. About law and order. Give me a freaking break. In any case, he. After Richard shows up and is all making a show and of trying to arrest the kid and whatnot, whatnot, Jamie, in front of the, in front of this red coat general, by the way, who does nothing about it, okay, um, Jamie makes the decision to be the Indian agent because he denies him at first, which was essentially the right decision because could you imagine Richard Brown trying to deal with the Indians? who he clearly despises and does not have any respect or regard for, unlike Jamie, who pretty much has respect and regard for everybody until they cross him, and then it's war, which is personally the right way to handle things. Um, So that almost takes us basically to the end of the episode, but the episode ends with the truth. So uh, also, something I forgot. So also in another part of the episode, we see Claire something doing something very anachronistic. She is developing anesthetic. And so she f- she's able to uh, determine that she can create anesthetic and she um, calls it ether, right? Um, and obviously to use in her surgery, but she's testing it on herself. This looks totally normal at first, but then by the end of the episode, what we realize is that Claire is using the anesthetic she's developing to help her sleep mind you she's not getting any long time sleep she's knocking herself out for a few moments at best but she's using it as a crutch right and a way to like just cancel out whatever stress because she has these visceral visceral reactions to the trauma and she's having these visions and stuff and um yeah so she's using it to help her but I, I've never seen claire this this broken by something and i'm actually like which and it's totally understandable but it's really actually kind of it's hard to watch her like this and it's it's kind of it's sad to see her like this um and I really do truly hope that she gets past it and that we she returns to like the the claire that we you know know and love but this it definitely does add a layer of interest for uh, for the character just makes her a little more robust because for her to be able to just seamlessly easily get through absolutely everything that she's ever gone through is Probably not that very re- realistic, especially since she's not really that much of a faithful person she, she doesn't really lean on faith, right? She's and for her. She's more of a woman of science um, um, Yeah, so that basically brings us to the end of episode one, so we have F- Fergus who's a drunk The Browns being jerks, Thomas Christie showing up and being like, hey, I need a place to live, and we don't know what that's going to look like with his two kids, Um, Claire abusing Ether, and Jamie becoming the Indian agent, and that's essentially the sum of episode one. I'm about to jump right into the review for episode two. Okay, so episode two review starts now. So in the cold open, we find Jamie taking on his new role as Indian agent and meeting with the Cherokee who are asking him for weapons to defend themselves against settlers who happen to trespass on their land. It's not necessarily going entirely well, but the most interesting outcome is the attempted seduction by a couple of Cherokee women who are thinking that perhaps if they bed Jamie, that somehow they would receive honor. As a result, he is an agent of the king. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> okay. I guess back then that must have been like some, like, he must be like some highfalutin person. And if I just give myself to him, then that'll be a good thing for me. Their logic, certainly not mine. Um, now I'm not entirely opposed to disagreement, you know, I mean, it's not like the man's not fine and they have eyes like, uh, and if they're clearly, this is not a thing I kind of get it, <laughs> I kind of get it, um but Jamie being dedicated to claire managed to manages to worm his way out of the situation with Ian's help. Ian thoroughly enjoyed every single moment of it though, um while Jamie himself was very uncomfortable. It was actually really funny. Then we jump back to fraser's Fraser's Ridge, where we first see Claire in the episode, and she's helping old stiff-necked Thomas Christie with his right hand, which has begun to heal from when Claire stitched stitched it up. Um, So in the first episode, he had cut his hand while, uh, I guess, um, trimming rushes. And they, and so he went to her and she stitched him up. So he incorrectly interprets interprets scripture regarding his arthritic hand, so he has a hand his like his left hand was hurt and but then his right hand is um basically becoming um immovable due to arthritis and so Claire is basically trying to convince him to have to um have her do surgery uh, surgery on that hand to repair it, and he decides that he wants to be all like fake humble and like if god has afflicted me with this i'm sure whatever mind you this is the same person who had a goat and the goat broke its leg and he brought the goat to claire so that claire could help the goat so claire naturally asked him well if god would want you to help your goat you think that he wants you to suffer more than the goat well he tries to use scripture to shut her to, to shut her down and it's like super super annoying I swear Christians in this time were like very yikes, just like, ee, yikes. Uh, in turn, um, like I said, he tries to sil- silence Claire using scripture, which Malva, his daughter, uh, cutely steps in and responds to, which of course he didn't, he does not like, and he sends her off. And then from there, we actually get an answer to what is going on with Fergus. So Claire goes back to check out Marsali. She's in her last days of her pregnancy with her latest child. Um, And she finally admits to Claire what is going on. And the reasoning is super duper annoying. Um, So this is basically what's happening. Like I said, spoilers for the episodes. Fergus. So, okay. Marsali was working with Claire in her surgery when the attack happened. Fergus has taken it into his mind that he should have been there to protect her and because he was unable to protect her uh that he's worthless like what like what 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 kind of prideful foolishness is this what happened to Marsley and Claire happened to them and his reluctance to accept that has now caused him to be losing control and just be kind of all over the place and I just And then on top of it, picking up a habit that could literally destroy his entire life. Like, what, what, I just, I don't understand. Like, what is, how, and how is it helping? How is now that decision to start drinking excessively, helping your wife recover from the experience that she had, her very pregnant self on top of it? And you have three other kids. Like, what are we doing here? Super disappointing. I I actually wish that the reasoning was better, but nope, that's what it is. Um, and then, yeah, it's just like, I just need Fergus to snap out of it. Like, like now, like snap out of it now. As for Claire's addiction, it seems to be triggered by memories of the assault. And rather than deal with the memory, she kind of knocks herself out using the ether that she made, which is obviously incredibly dangerous. And as I said in the review of, of episode one, it like really makes me very sad to see her this way. Um, fast forward to Brianna, she is not letting go of her imagination and her engineering and inventive ways. Um, and I love how she's using her gifts to make things that will actually help the community that she's a part of. Um, can you imagine living in a time with no matches or a lighter? Like what? Flint? What is a Flint? I know what a Flint is. Don't nobody try to tell me what a Flint is. I know what it is, but like, give me a lighter or a matches any day, right? But I have a confession to make. So I'm a modern woman, right? The modern woman in me is like literally abhorred by the idea of a man who just spent days on horseback coming into the house and demanding to ravish me. Like, nope, nope. Love you. Love you. Love you. But please, please go bathe. Please go jump in a tub of water with lavender and soap before you come anywhere near me with your horse smelling, manure smelling, sweaty smelling self. Like, just please go do that. Like, I it just, th- I always think of that. Like, oh, so you guys are just going to explore our, your parts after that many days of not bathing? <laughs> That's, I'm just like, ugh, yuck, yuck. Um, but for, the, for TV and between Jamie and Claire, I mean, I'm not mad at it, but it's like, personally, I would be like, go bathe and uh if you want me to join me join you sure hell i'll even scrub you down like could foreplay but no 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 there is no immediate ravishing of nah we ain't finna uh-uh. so jamie has a dilemma right and he, the dilemma is about whether or not he should provide weapons or at least request the weapons for the Cherokee and that's because he knows that the that the in the war for independence is coming and he doesn't know what side the Cherokee will choose so if he gives them weapons will he fight on the side of of the loyalists slash redcoats or will he fight on the side of the rebels and he just kind of wants to make sure before he makes that decision um because he doesn't necessarily want to arm his who arm people who will eventually become his enemies. And, uh, which is totally understandable. And initially he decides that he's not going to, he's not going to do it. Um, and Claire kind of encourages him and just lets him know that she supports whatever decision that he makes because she knows that he will make the right one. And it's uh, totally something that I love about their relationship. Like they really do trust each other in the things that they are tasked with and the responsibilities that they take on. Like he really trusts her in anything, anything that has to do with healing. Um, and she really kind of trusts him to lead and provide and protect. And it's, it's a really, it's a real partnership. Not perfect by far because they, they both have the worst tempers, but, um, but, you know, in overall, like that partnership, that reliance, that trust is really is really something to be admired. Um, so remember what I said about Christians in this time? There is a funeral, a man on the ridge, his mother-in-law dies. And there is this part of the ceremony in which they leave bread and drink on and or near the body for what is called a sin eater. What the heck? what the actual heck I was like a what it shook me because I was like what, what, what are you guys doing this is ridiculous but literally th- this funeral was like the wildest funeral ever but I imagine that this kind of thing happened a lot during these times because you know medicine was archaic and essentially what ended up happening the woman that they thought had died was actually alive and just knocked out unconscious and she woke up during her own funeral which of course you know that led all the peoples to be superstitious and to want to wanna be like, you know, what kind of devilry? Blah, blah, blah. Like, just also shut up. Um, but Roger steps in and as the role of minister and pastor, and it really actually suited him. And I kind of love that for Roger. And it, it kind of feels like he feels like it's something that he could do, but there also feels it also feels like maybe Brianna's like hesitant to have him step into that world. I'm not really sure why, but, um, kind of love that for Roger. And he kind of takes control of the situation. The woman eventually does die for good. Cause the, she was bleeding internally and, um, um, would have expired, expired quickly. Claire knew that based on what she, she did a quick assessment of her and knew that she wasn't long for this world. So, um, But yeah, uh, I just, that whole thing was just like, what is going on here? Crazy. Um, So from the funeral, we have a family dinner and everybody, everybody is gathered at the big house. um, And Brianna presents her new invention of the matches. And not surprisingly, it lands like a whetstone. Um, But then on beknownst to everybody or kind of surprising everybody, Marsley goes into labor and, um, it literally, her labor was clearly difficult. So Marsley immediately realizes that there's something different about this labor. She's done it three times before. This is her fourth child and she, they hustle her off to the surgery. Um, Jamie is kind of like, where the heck is Fergus? She's struggling. And he sends Roger off to go gather Fergus and bring him to Marsley. Which Roger does. And when I say he gathered him. He gathered him. Like gathered gathered. And he needed to be gathered. Because like what the heck are you really doing? So Fergus shows up. And tries to help Marsali along. In a manner that is probably not so expected. Right? a A little bit of. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit unexpected. Um, but ironically, I've actually heard of this before. Um, as to how to get the baby to move, but um, it's everyone else's response to it that's actually really quite funny. Uh, Brianna's like, "I'm just gonna go for a walk." Malva's like, "They're doing what?" <laughs> um, but I feel like that girl has a secret. There's something up with her. I don't know. Um, obviously, she's a character from the books, and from what I've read. It is not because I actually have not. This is one of the few adaptations that I watch and really enjoy that I actually have not read the books for. Um, But I just read the synopsis for this uh, for the novels that are that this season is pretty much based on. And uh, yeah, I I don't know if anything good's going to come of that girl, but something's up with her for sure. Um, But in any case, Marsali perseveres and delivers a healthy baby boy who also happens to be a dwarf. To which Fergus responds with more guilt than love. Like, it's literally, he finds a way to make everything about him and what he perceives as his failure, which doesn't rectify or change his behavior. It just makes him continue to do what he was doing that's not working already. Like, isn't that the way the devil works so? though? Ciao. Listen. Flash forward to the church construction and Thomas Christie and his foolish no- notion about having the church being built before he builds a place for himself and his children to live. I have no idea where he got this asinine idea from to begin with, but the moment that follows between Jamie and Thomas about keeping the church non denominational is the right way to handle it, but because obviously there are Catholics and Protestants that are now living on the ridge, and um, but somehow Thomas just feels like he's under Jamie, which he is, like Jamie is the laird of. It's his land that they have all settled on. Like at the end of the day, however, Jamie perceives things to go. He didn't say don't build a church. He's just saying like, we're not going to use religion to divide people and cause issues because he's seen him do it before him being Thomas Christie. So he basically was like, we agreed when we were in Ardsmere to make it a lodge. We're going to do the same thing here. It will be open to everyone Put a steeple, put, yeah, go ahead. Put the steeple up, put a bell. People can come take their lessons and come to worship. So that was basically how it went down. But of course, what does Thomas do? He tries to take his frustrations over not being able to do as he likes on Jamie's land out on Malva. And this is why we as viewers are going to like take issue with his character and fundamentally not like him because he's, he's complicated, but I'm not certain he's evil, right? He's stiff necked, but does that, it mostly just makes him kind of like unlikable, but it doesn't necessarily make him like, like Richard Brown, for example. But at the same time, I just don't know. Like, I just don't know what you're capable of. Um, He's like, perhaps not evil, but definitely misogynistic for sure. Um, Also, So following that, in a very unexpected moment of bonding with Marceline's baby, we gain some insight into Ian and the sadness he's carrying since returning from the Mohawk. So apparently he had a baby and a wife. What happened to them at this point, we don't know yet, but I'm really, really hoping that we get some further, deeper insight into it. Then we have Thomas show up at the house and basically say, oh no, I want you to tell Claire, I actually do want you to go ahead and heal my arthritic hand because he couldn't beat, um, uh, Malva, oh, he couldn't hold the belt to beat Malva, then, which makes him then decide that he's gonna go and get the surgery, like, what, who does that, what, anyway, I'm, I'm just not gonna fall off a cliff, because that's literally, I was just like, who does that, like, and this is why I'm struggling with Thomas Christie, um, but, Somehow Claire kind of sees through him and sends him away and says, when your other, when your hand that I just worked on heals thoroughly and properly, we'll work on the other one. The man is just so full of pride and he's literally like, clearly has no shortage of anger issues, like prideful and angry. That is such a winning combination, don't we think? Anyway, the episode ends with my favorite moment and Jamie's choice to request the guns was super noble and I loved it. However, we know that everything the Frasers do will have consequences, and we're just going to have to see how that plays out. Up next, my favorite character moment. Tom received word his wife had died while we were at mirror but you, you were there with me in i present. won't go me through it you are always with me sometimes uh, I think you're an angel Claire do I actually really need to explain why this is like my favorite part for this 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 episode Do I need to explain? (laughs) I mean, Jamie is just so sweet. He's just so sweet. There is, I think there's an episode where Claire says to Jamie, not I think, I know there's an episode. Claire says to Jamie that, um, that had he been in modern times, so modern times for for her, he would be considered a king among men. It, It ain't a joke. It ain't a joke. He would have been a king among men in 1974, in 2004, in 1984, in 1964, in, in all the fours. <laughs> in 2014, 2024. There is, he, I swear this character sets an impossible standard for men. It's impossible. It's impossible to live up to Jamie, Jamie Fraser. Like he's just different kind of man. Just the one that we all deserve. Get in where you fit in. Up next, my favorite moment, my favorite character moment from episode two. More than that, we're recommending we do as they ask. And what may? I may, of course, regret it, but if Governor Martin sees fit, Cherokee will have their guns to do with them as they please. Yeah. Give the letter to Mr McDonald before he leaves. Tell me if you change your mind. Yeah. He uh he had a child. He has my walk wife. He was. Don't Marsley. Didn't seem motivated? Fights for them because they are his family. His allegiances to them, and my allegiance to him. I think it's the right thing to do. I mean, you cannot get any better than it. Just doesn't he? Just it just doesn't get better than him. It just it, what what the heck? It don't get no better. Like that is the best reason to make a different decision, I don't, I don't have a better reason to make a different decision. I mean, when you realize the importance of something to someone and you compare that to the importance of that person to you, then it's kind of easy to decide to do something knowing that you don't know what the outcome of that thing is gonna be. But you honor the person that you're choosing. In making that choice it's jamie for you it's it's literally jamie like textbook jamie so again i don't necessarily feel like i have to explain why i love that moment from season two episode two now for my most hated character moment episode one huh? almost you for an indian the one who's hunting on the wrong side of the treaty line you're very well who I am. Oh, I do. You're akin to the Frasers. Perhaps you should take care to dress in a more civilized fashion. I've heard this real Indian still a-Roman. Setting cabins on fire. You have no proof Indians set any of those fires. If my uncle heard you- We're representing the law. <laughs> this is my committee of safety. We're seeking, justice. seeking justice for who and from what? For where? For why? Why? I can't stand this man. I think I've already explained that. This is the moment I hated. I'm not even going to give anything more to this negative energy. But I can't stand him. I can't stand him. I can't stand his face. I can't stand the way he talks. I can't say anything about him. It is what it is. He, there's nothing right he can do in, in my eyes except so for a run up and run off. That's about it. The milk is turned. Sorry, I was going to make some butter. I haven't you? You must have sat in my mind. Mr. Spicknell brought us some ale, Father. Would you like some? I don't want ale. I want milk. Come to a land of milk and honey, eh? What do I have? It's because you're spending too much time with Mistress Fraser. You have the same. You know what became also do i have to explain this i really don't have to explain this again <coughs> clearly okay if you've wa- if you read the books then you know that malva is not thomas christie's son he took her in ta- son daughter malva is not his daughter Um, we don't learn what happens to her mother until the, well, we don't learn in this episode. Okay. I'll just leave it at that, but it's just despicable. Like it's, it's just, just despicable. Like I said, I, I don't necessarily believe nor feel like the man is evil, but this level of prideful, vengeful, petty anger, I... He's highly, 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 highly disagreeable and definitely, definitely not somebody that I'm, it's not a character I'm enjoying. I don't care for him. I I don't care what happens to him. Like right now he's just, he's filling space and I feel like his treatment of Malva is going to cause some drama in the end. And I really don't know what that's going to look like or what that will be, but he's despicable. Dislike him. Dislike him very much. Up next, Twitter me laughing. (laughs) So these were some of the best tweets that I could find that related to the first two episodes of Outlander. So from Hooligans, oh my gosh, that's actually really funny because <laughs> I actually think I have a group on Instagram with the same that's named the same thing, Hooligans. <laughs> I love that. Hooligans tweeted, "I wonder if the makeup department keeps a record of all of J A M M F's scars, four inches down and two point seven five inches to the left." On the left nipple, hashtag Outlander. And Sam responded, of course. Because <sighs> of course, like he, the man has scarred up. Like how <laughs> they, of course they have to keep a record. SiriusXM XM radio tweeted a video of Samuel L. Jackson talking about Outlander. And he's basically saying how he dreams about it because his wife is so hyped for Outlander every Sunday. He's like, it's back. He's like, her Scottish porn is back. I was like, ah, what? (laughs) That thing is back. That girl is just, is still running back and forth in time. The dude Jamie's been through everything. I know who they are because they're in my dreamscape at night. Because when I go to bed, my wife watches that and it's on and it's not on softly. Everybody loves Outlander, (laughs) including Samuel Jackson's wife. I found that really hilarious. Um, So we are just starting to see more and more and more interaction and engagement with regards to the show as it continues and as it progresses. But those were the two funniest tweets that I could come up, that I could find, or the ones that I liked the most as it relates to episodes one and two of Outlander. Anyway, that brings us to the end of our episode. And I just want to invite you to come on back. Come on back. Check out what I have to say as I review the entire season, two episodes at a time and going to try to drop them Weekly, So after the fourth one, so there will be another episode dropping soon, but there's a lot to watch right now and it's just only going to get better and better. Um, I've got some Hollywood news for y'all and coming up as I attack some more reviews and let you guys know what I'm watching, where you can watch it and when you can watch it. This is your host, Nikki Nicole. And I am signing out of the Obsessible podcast. I am bye for now.